Philadelphia. Are you ready? This is Brotherly Love Wrestling Podcast, your first stop for everything professional wrestling. So sit back and enjoy wrestling talk at its finest with your hosts, Larry Hall and Joe Corrado. Welcome everybody to another episode of Brotherly Love Wrestling Podcast. Where I drop shit, and that's cool. <laughs> and today we have a special interview for you. It's a surprise interview to end the year. It is. Um, we have Ken Doan, and formerly known as Kenny Dykstra from the Spirit Squad. Yes, but known now as Ken Doan. Yes, known now for wrestling in Beyond Wrestling. Yeah. Formerly known, Kenny Dykstra. Formerly <laughs> in the WWE. Exactly. Currently not in the WWE in Beyond Wrestling. Now that we're all caught up, why don't we get into the interview? It's going to be good. You're going to love it. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, today on our show, we have Ken Doan with us. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So, um, Ken, obviously a lot of people know you and know your name um, as Kenny from the Spirit Squad when you wrestled for WWE or Kenny Dykstra. Um, we basically just wanted to start there and then work your way to where you are now. Um, that way, some people that may not know where you're, what you're doing now um, can be caught up. So, obviously, you were in the WWE as the Spirit Squad, and um, you worked with I mean, the who's who, everybody. Worked with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Ric Flair. Um, what was it like coming up and then just being able to be in this uh, this faction and being able to work with these people? Uh, honestly, man, it was pretty crazy because at the time uh, I was in OVW. It was like 2004, but I was on uh, a lot of SmackDown live events. So I'd work like Funaki or Scotty or... Uh, you know, the occasional Val Venus would be over there, and we'd, I'd work with him. But for the most part, I was traveling along with SmackDown, uh, and I was wrestling as Ken Doan, the same thing I was doing in OVW. But so, so then you really get this idea of like, okay, maybe this is what they're going to do with me. Uh, but then they called us up. They called a group of us up to Cincinnati. Uh, we were living in Louisville at the time, and we met with Vince, and he's the one who pitched the idea. He wanted the Spirit Squad. He wanted five male cheerleaders. Excuse me. Uh, he wanted five male cheerleaders, and I, I remember thinking, like, this must be a win. Like, <laughs> serious? Like, this is what we're going to do? And then we left the meeting, and that was it. And I was like, I guess he's pretty serious about this. Like, we should get something. <laughs> so it doesn't really give us any direction. Uh, I went to Dick's Sporting Goods, and I got, like, five basketball jumpsuits. They just happened to be green and white because that's the only color they had five of. But it ended up working out, and we got our names on the back. Uh, the next week, we brought them to the seamstress, so they were like, we had to add to it. So they put names on the back and whatnot. And, uh, and then after a while, there was a few weeks that went by that they weren't sure of the idea. They wanted to run with it. And they weren't sure of like, the direction they were going. I mean, ultimately, the whole point of it was really to bring back DX and to work with them uh, and, to, and to just do that whole bit, because that was great. You know, that's great TV that they're 
entertainment. He made about nine months to a year out of that, and we did. So, but it was uh, it was different. You know, it was unique. It was fun to work with a lot of those guys because it was an on-the-job education. Uh, you know, when you're working with each other, you're working with each other, and you're learning about each other, and you're, you know, how you work in the ring, and all different stuff that it, it's hard to teach in a wrestling school. But when you're out there with some of the best in the business, you know, you, you automatically are going to learn. And the thing about WWE, and the thing about a lot of these companies, well, I don't know if they are all this way, but at least it used to be. You know, if you're going to work with the top guys, you got to be safe. you got to be good at what you do. You know, they're going to see right through that. And for us, I mean, I'm not saying luckily they didn't see through that. I mean, we're definitely uh, still green in our own ways, but we were coachable and we could learn. And we could learn from those guys that we worked with. So that education, there's not a lot of guys that can still go in the wrestling industry that have worked with those people that can trans. Uh, transform that information that they learned to today's day and age. You know, it's almost a lost art at this point. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, you guys end up becoming tag team champions, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they use as all of you guys, all five of you were tag team champions. Sort of like the Freebird rule. Yeah, yeah they had, and any of us could defend it. So that was pretty cool. And that was great, too, for live events because, you know, there were times where. Uh, you know, Mondo and I would wrestle on Raw, but then the other guys would work Saturday, Sunday, so we just had to manage, or maybe we'd do a six-man tag or something different every time, so it was cool. It was never consistently getting in there, having to get beaten up every night. Yeah, and when you guys did that, when you were the tag team champions, you faced probably like the weirdest collection of tag teams I think I've ever seen. I mean, you get at one one point you face Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Eugene, Another one was Viscera and Charlie Haas and Snitsky and Val Venus. I mean, it, you were all over the card. I mean, how was it to kind of adjust to names like Shawn Michaels and Triple H to guys like Eugene and Hacksaw? Oh, it was great, and you're always learning constantly. But the, the, the point of the show in that point was to get us over. So we had to, we had to get our wins over a lot of those tag teams, the Highlanders, uh, whoever the case might be to elevate us so that way people would believe that this team could go fight guys like Triple H and Shawn Michaels five on two. Yeah. So, uh, it was great though to, to answer the question with guys like Viscera, uh, Hacksaw, you know, a lot of those older minds who have different styles and different ways that they see things going. Uh, even RVD, we did something with him for a little bit. We did like some five on one stuff and that was fun. I mean, it was five on one so it was what it was but in the in the moment of doing it all, you're still picking their brain, understanding how they see it differently to make it more entertaining than it really can be. Yeah, so now I want to go a little bit further, and the Spirit Squad kind of went away, and it was more just you as Kenny Dykstra. And right off the bat, we saw that, I mean, I saw online now, obviously you can't trust everything you read online, so we wanted to ask you, is it true that the Dykstra was kind of a tribute to Lenny Dykstra, the baseball player? I have no idea. I didn't pick the name. They okay. Asked me to pick, like, they asked me to pick a last name. Mm-hmm. There is that thought, though, because Brian Gewertz, I think he came up with it, and he was a writer at the time, but I think he's a big Mets fan, so that may have been okay. what you're saying. It very well could be. But they had asked me to come up with different names, and I used Doan. Uh, I had McMahon on my list. I had... <laughs> I mean, 
giving Levesque, like, I, was, I seriously was giving them, like, names of top people there, so that way it's like, if we give him this name, we're not going to let him fail, because the last name we might want to, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> smart. <laughs> that was a very, very smart move on your part. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, they didn't go for any of them, but <laughs> I at least tried. <laughs> so then I ended up with the Dykstra thing. But, you know, I feel like sometimes in wrestling, having a, it's hard to just say, okay, this is your name now, or this is who you are now. It's really tough, and like the first few times that we did the squad, we were all very timid, and we were all kind of like, we're not exactly sure what they want, you know, and then one day, uh, Vince, he just said, listen, you, your job is go out and have fun. He said, you guys going out having fun beating up the baby faces is going to get you heat, so the more fun you have, the better this is going to work, so then we just took that as like, how can we try to make each other laugh the whole time, and then that's how it really started to feel it out, but the Dexter thing, I didn't really know, like... Am I Ken Doan from OVW? Am I, like, who am I? Like, who do they want me to be? I, I never really understood that. And then, even before it even, I even figured out what they were looking for, I still don't, I'm not sure, but, uh, with that gimmick, but then it, then it was gone, so. But that's, the name, I believe, came from Brian Gewertz. I think he's the Mets fan. Okay. So. Uh, you mentioned, uh, briefly that trying to make each other laugh, and I had a, a random question, not to get too far off topic, Who's the one wrestler that it's hardest to keep in character against? Like who who do you almost break for? Like who is who do you almost laugh at? Uh, maybe Eugene. Eugene would always pop me just because it's it's because of who he is. Like I knew him in OVW. Uh, I remember seeing him as Nick Dinsmore and stuff like that. So the gimmick is just he does it so well, and it's like. I don't know. It's just entertaining even watching from the back. I always found it. But when you're in the ring, sometimes, you know, wrestlers will do things or say things or uh, whatever the case might be just to mess with you. I mean, I think I'm one of the ones who try to get everybody else to pop. <laughs> uh, and I think, like, a time that, that happened was at Wrestling Crime Time on a live event. It was me and, I think, Morrison. But uh, Shad, he would sniff his tank top just slightly so that way he could rip it off at the, the highlight of his comeback. And as soon as I came in to feed for the first clothesline, I just grabbed his shirt and took it with me. And he was like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> that was his spot. <laughs> but I had just taken it all away from him. <laughs> so he had to think on his feet to try and come up with a different spot? A little fire up, a little different fire up now. So, yeah. Probably, though, he was always one that would pop people easily. So, now, with everything that, that you did in WWE... Do you think now, knowing what you know, would you do anything different in WWE? Uh, probably so. I mean, at the time, you know, you never under you never understand what you, what's going on, and a lot of times you don't understand until you're out of it. Like, and even then, being so young in that field, like, I, that's all I know. Like, I started wrestling at 13. Uh, I started working for WWE at 16, and then just doing dark matches about every three months. I'd be there. And I'd end up on, like, Sunday Night Heat on MTV or Velocity or something. Uh, but then, you know, then when I'm 18, I graduate. And then a week later, I move to Louisville and I learn OVW. And then I'm there for a year and a half. And then I go, like, that's all I ever knew. So I had no idea uh, what even outside world was like. You know what I mean? Like, this was my first job, my only job. So I had no idea. That's crazy. That yeah, things... No, go ahead. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, but doing things differently, I mean, always, I would say that. I was just there, uh, what was that, November, I did a guest coaching at the performance center, and even then I would look back and do things a little more differently. 
so hopefully, luckily they invited me back again. So when I go back, I'll apply those things to do a little bit differently. But I, I always think like I have to do something differently just to maintain or get better. So yeah, I would definitely do everything differently. Not everything, some things, I guess. Now you mentioned uh, guest coaching. Any uh, anyone in particular you were there coaching? Uh, there was just some classes. I taught some of the classes. They have such great potential there, and that place is such. It's like the Harvard of pro wrestling. Like you have to, even if you didn't want to learn, if you walked in there and just hung around long enough, you would learn something. But I, I mean, there was no set one person that I coached that I went to coach. But it was just more of the classes in general, working with a lot of the new guys, how to do things differently, small things, and that's what wrestling's really missing. Wrestling is missing a lot of small things that really tell that story that make people want to watch. Anybody can do the moves, but it's not the moves that make us interested. You know what I mean? It's the in-between stuff, and that's the hard part to teach. Now, that's a perfect segue because you started this website, ProWrestlingEDU.com, and uh, I'm looking on it, and there's a lot of articles and stuff of just, like you said, the little things um, that you have listed on there so far, and more stuff to come, obviously. Um, what made you start this website? What made me start the website was going to independent wrestling shows, getting injured by people who I could tell were not fully trained, uh, just watching the show in general and watching where the drop-off happens with the crowd. And, you know, a lot of it came from working for Beyond Wrestling when they do their weekly show. So you go there every week, I go there every week, I help out, I do whatever they do, ask me to do. I critique some of the talent that are looking for feedback. But it's like, you see a lot of the same stuff, so it's like, it's driving me crazy. It's like, if there's anything that you're really, really passionate about, and you put a lot of time and investment in, and you see somebody just doing the complete opposite, or what they think is supposed to work, but it doesn't work, and it's, I feel like it'd be like, oh man, like the AAU football like that league that was in there at the beginning of the year. Like, I feel like NFL players watching that and going, what are these guys doing? <laughs> you know, whatever the case, they're not doing right. It's, 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 it diminishes the crowd. It, it exposes a lot of it. So to me, some people say, oh, well, isn't that exposing the business in some way, but isn't bad wrestling just as exposing of the business? Like, doesn't that do it more? And doesn't that make you not want to come back? Yeah, it makes sense. So really, it was more so just to help other wrestlers because I notice a lot of them, they're on shows and they're doing stuff and it's cool, but the training is just not what it is. Or Like when I was 16, you wouldn't even get booked for WWE for some of this talent that, they, that they're showing on indies. Like you wouldn't even get invited back. But now they're, it's, it's crazy. It's so weird. I don't know. The, the passion of having to learn this business is really lost of going to seminars and actually learning your craft. Now it's like, well, if I do a big move and enough people share it and like it on Twitter, I'm going to be a star. But no, it's not. Now, how is that received by, I guess, the the wrestling community? Not so much the fans, but your peers and the, the companies that you work for. Now, do they see it as kind of like you bad-mouthing, or, is it, or do they see it more like you're trying to help? I have no idea. I didn't ask. What do I care? <laughs> but uh, I would think hopefully they take it for what it is. It's honestly, it's just trying to help. It's trying to under to let the wrestlers know that aren't going to 
you know, some of these wrestlers, they go to a wrestling school for three months, they learn something, they get booked on a show, and they go, well, now I don't have to go back because I'm on shows. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's to help those people who are still wanting to learn, and even fans that want to understand more. You know, the fans are sitting there, they know when finishes happen, they know sometimes more of the match than the, some of the wrestlers do, which is crazy. So if they really want to learn about it and educate, then why not? Why can't we all learn about it? It's already been exposed enough. Why not expose it in the right direction? So that way maybe the product changes or maybe the business grows from it. So more of an innovation type uh, yeah. website. Yeah, more of like a free education for uh, fans and wrestlers alike. And, and my goal is to get more... Uh, articles and stuff from more reputable wrestlers and trainers and stuff. The ones that want to submit whatever they think, you know, because, you know, I talk to promoters and trainers all around the world and I say, you know, what what do you see that's repeating? What's the same things that you see? You know, I just saw Aaron Stevens last week in Worcester and I asked him, I said, hey, was there anything that we did when we were younger that we just always did? Like every match, you're going to see a dive. You're going to see something off the top. Like, why? Why? Why is? Was there something that we did when we were younger? Am I not getting it? And he's, I, he didn't really think that there was anything that we did. But maybe somebody older would say, "Yeah, you guys always did that," or who knows? I know there's always the flavor of the week, but sometimes the flavor of the week becomes the flavor of the industry or the year or the two years. Like I don't know. Or they start a What's trend where best? they start a trend where everyone's now following them because someone saw something once, and now that's the new it. Yeah, yeah, the apron bump. Like, that I've seen more recent in the past few years than anything. It's like people, they're working to take a move on the apron. But then they get up and go about their match like nothing ever happened. When it, If you actually made that mean something, you know what I mean? I don't know. They're, they're, they're throwing away too much, but then what it does to the other matches is it's like, well, that one might have been real, but they did less. That one wasn't real because they all jumped on each other's head and they got up and kept running. So then now you have confusion in the crowd because you have some that know how to do the tricks and some that don't know how to do the magic trick. You know, you're not really a magician if you really cut the lady in half. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I got that analogy. <laughs> so now we'll we'll go, you, you, get, you finish up with WWE. Um, what is your mindset after being done with them, and where where in your head do you want to go, and and um, do you set out to do? Oh, yeah, I don't know, man. So then they released me like the end of two thousand eight, maybe two thousand nine. I don't remember what it was. I think the end of two thousand eight. Yeah, Lord, I just released me. Uh, but then I just thought, okay, well, I'll see what else is out there going on, and I don't know. I was like twenty two or twenty three at the time, uh, so then I I didn't have any idea really. I had a rental property in Florida, uh, so that's always good. So I never really knew what to do. But then I realized I'm going to need an education at some point, so I decided to go back to school. So I went, I moved back up here to Mass and uh, got a place up here. And then I went to school, got my bachelor's in sport management, and then I got my MBA in business, my business administration, my master's. So, But I knew that was always something that I wanted to do anyways, whether or not wrestling had anything involvement in it my goal was to honestly go into the military if uh if i didn't go into wrestling so luckily wrestling pulled me in this direction otherwise i'd probably be in the military i don't know hmm. you could have been both <laughs> everything happens for I a reason could have done both. 
You would, exactly. Yes, I really could have. I don't think you would have been a male cheerleader, but <laughs> I, th- I think no, you. No, not in the military. No, I think you would have came back a little bit more of a badass for Vince. Right. He would have loved that. Maybe, maybe so. He probably would have. So. Uh, but, uh, so then, yeah. After that, actually, I did some TNA stuff. I did some of that, uh, but I had worked for them also when I was 16 in Nashville at the fairgrounds. When they first really started up, I actually got booked on a lot of their stuff. I remember working like Eric Watts. Uh, oh man, this was when they had the, this was the one actually in Nashville. So that was actually pretty cool atmosphere at the time. Russo was there, and I remember as a kid being like, oh, that's pretty cool, and Russo's just sitting there. <laughs> about everything. But <laughs> it's good, it popped me. So then after I got released, I was like, oh, let me see if the door is open for TNA. Like, uh, Bischoff's down there, Flair was down there at the time. So then they brought me in, and I did some dark matches with them, and it didn't really go anywhere. Uh, other than that, it was fun, I guess. So the first time we actually saw you... Um, for the first time, like back wrestling, is was was actually for House of Hardcore and Tommy Dreamer's promotion here in Philly, and um, again doing the the squad as you were called, and you and Mikey, and it, it was it was great to see you again. It was the the characters obviously were were like what we remember on TV, and you guys could, especially with the Philly crowd, you knew what buttons to push, and you were that classically really good heel that you wanted to hate um how did you get up with tommy dreamer and house of hardcore uh we've always known tommy from obw uh even when he was he'd come down every once in a while and guest coach a little bit there and then he was he was something in the office i forget what he was talent relations or something so he was in there and then he actually helped get mondo his job with obw well with WWE in general so that was a cool thing. So we always had that connection with Tommy. But then once we did the thing in 2016, that's us. We were just hanging around, whatever. Monday, my phone rang. It was Mark Colano from WWE, and I thought, why is he calling me? Like, I thought maybe it was a butt dial. I'm not going to answer that. Maybe he, he, whatever. So I didn't answer it. And then he was like, hey, you got to call me. So then I'm thinking, like, man, maybe I owe them money. Maybe I broke something. <laughs> and they just found out it was me from, like, eight years ago. I don't know. That's really what I thought, like, this can't be good. So then he was like, I need you to, you guys come to SmackDown next week in San Diego. And I was like, uh, okay. Send me my info. So then they emailed me my flight and everything. So then I was like, Mondo, are you going to SmackDown next week? And he said, yeah, I'll be there. I said, well, that's pretty cool. I guess we'll see what we're doing. So then we got there and they're like, it's just one week only. All we need is one week. And we're like, okay, cool, let's do it. So we come out and do the thing with Ziggler, beat him down. Uh, but then I guess they really liked it. They liked the beatdown, maybe, because we were only on there for like three minutes. And then Vince, he, he just came by. He said, I'll see you at the pay-per-view. And I said, cool. <laughs> I'll see you there, too, then. And then from there, they booked us for the next, like, two and a half months. Uh, so that was really cool. And then after that, that's when Dreamer said, hey, can you come do some House of Hardcore stuff? You know, he's got a lot of new guys at the time that, you know, and they just need to work with veterans, and they need to see and feel... You know, like you said, we were, we, in your opinion, we were good heels who not hit the button of the fans. We were just heels doing our job. And, you know, we all can do the moves, everybody on that show, but why is it that some get the heel reaction that, you know, that they're aiming for? Well, a lot of it's because we know how to put the pieces in the right pieces at the right place. 
others sometimes just put the pieces out there and there's no rhyme or reason for it. So they don't understand why they don't get a heel reaction when they're supposed to be a heel. So that's always good. I like working silly crowd. I love the 2300 arena. And I would always call there. I still do now. I call 94 or something to whip and I always talk trash to them <laughs> coming into town. Four yeah. the Eagles lose. So yeah. I was going to call this week, but they made the playoffs. So I we're definitely going to touch on that towards the end of the show because I, I we've seen that and we definitely want to do that. I wanted to. I wanted to. <laughs> oh, don't worry. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to jump back. You were talking about your heel work and how you're able to push buttons. Where where did you pick that up? Because I mean, of the whole squad, I'd say you and and Dolph really have the. I don't. I guess we'll call it the gift of gab, but you you really. You really excel on the mic. Where did you pick that up from? I don't know, man. A lot of it just comes from, like, and I figured, I've felt it more recently in the past few years of, honestly, I just don't care anymore. Like, not that I don't care about wrestling, but it's like, I know that when I go out there, I know that I know how to do the moves. I know where to put them and all that stuff, and I'll call it in the ring if I need to. Uh, and I can work different styles. So now my focus really becomes on finding those people that are reacting to what I'm doing and honing in on them and letting that spread organically. And sometimes doing it, you know, if I know something's going to happen in the match later that's going to make me look stupid, I'm going to get as much heat as I can now because when that happens, they're going to go crazy when I get hit. You know, I'm not going to try to protect myself throughout and then maybe try to get this over. No, I'm going to make it look as good as it possibly can. And a lot of that, too, is just timing. You know, it's like a good comedic. They start with a joke, they go on about the jokes, whatever, then they usually end it with the joke that they brought in earlier and the place reacts. Wrestling's a very similar formula in the sense where when I get my heat, now I'm getting it. Whether I'm talking or beating someone up, I'm going to make sure it's directed. And I'll, The hard part now is telling the baby face, stop getting up, stay down and let me get heat. I'll tell you when to get up. Sometimes they get up too quick and I'm like, whoa, 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 get down. <laughs> Slow down here. But uh, yeah, a lot of that just comes from being, being able to listen to the crowd, and once you can hear the crowd, you can understand where they're at, and then once you can really figure out where they're at and where they're going, it's so much easier. And I always watch the show before me, too. I'm always out there watching it. People don't see me, but I'm out there watching it, so I can feel where the crowd's at, how they're reacting to certain things. And that helps me mold my match. You know, I'm not out there at 12 noon running through the same spot over and over because that's what I'm going to do in my match. I'm waiting for everybody to do everything that they're going to do in their match. I can go, okay, that's what I'm not going to do in my match. I'm going to do it differently. And now people are going to react to it because it's different. They haven't seen it yet. It's fresh. It's new. And it could be absolutely nothing. You know, if you watch some of my Beyond Wrestling stuff, I do nothing in my matches. I do nothing on the show. But I get a great heel reaction. Now, right now, you're in uh, Beyond Wrestling. Ugh. Uncharted territory. Oh, I'm losing my voice. But we're going to push through it. <clears throat> and uh, you aligned yourself with Club Cam, who, I don't know if he's under your tutelage or anything, also gets a lot of good, genuine heat from the crowd. Now, is that something that you have a hand in, or is that something you just you guys just meshed well and decided to go for it? I will go over many things with him, on even where to stand, when to react, how to react who to look at so he probably thinks I'm insane but I will make and then even if I'm not in his segment I'll be like okay what are you doing Let, walk me through it so I can see how this feel how this is going to play out and I might erase stuff no you can't do that because you're going to kill your heat like or you know there's times 
and here's the thing with indie wrestling. When there's a manager that the crowd boos, every babyface wants to hit him. But if every babyface hits him, he will eventually have no heat because everybody knows he's going to get hit. So it's trying to get them to understand that less is more. Less means so much more. Uh, but a lot of Cam stuff, I do help him with a lot. Uh, Christian Casanova, I've been helping him a lot. You know, anybody who wants the advice, I'll always pull them aside and work with them and show them and help them, you know, either get over the baby face or get over the heel. But there's certain things that we can do and there's certain things that we shouldn't do that a lot of them do do that, you know, they actually hurt themselves, whether it be trying to get heat or trying to get over the baby face. So, I mean, like he said, you work with Beyond and you also are working with MLW. What are the, the some maybe some of the differences and even the, some 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 of the similarities between the two companies? Uh, the similarities is they're both on the television screen, I suppose. But <laughs> other than that, I I don't know. They're just very different in the sense. Uh, Drew is very hands-on with Beyond, and you know there's a lot of creativity from the wrestlers there. MLW it's a very television format where. You're just playing the role of whoever they want you to play on that sheet that day. And that's really the extent of it. But I, I'm, I finished up my days with MLW, so you probably won't see me there anymore. Which brings us to our next uh, question. As of January, you stated that you're a full free agent. Now, is there anyone... In particular, any promotion that you have your sights set on, like anywhere that you would really like to work, and I noticed that you mentioned Mikey in your in your uh, statement as well. Are you guys a package deal wherever you go, or is it kind of want? The... No, not necessarily. I mean, we do tag stuff, we do single stuff. To me, honestly, it's whoever wants us to work for them. I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, I've worked for MLW, and I know that road, so I don't know that I'll more likely than not ever go there. I don't, like, that's not somewhere where I want to wrestle full-time or long-term. No offense to anything they do. They're very nice people. But other than that, uh, anywhere else, I don't mind. But, you know, it all depends. There's no one set place. It's, I can do all different styles. Uh, but honestly, I'm not necessarily looking to go work all these indies either anymore. It just... You wrestle, and it's such a recovery process at this point. I've been doing it for 20 years. Like, I don't want to keep wrestling small independents, making small independent paydays just to why. You know, there's nothing I can do on the independent show that's going to make someone go, oh, we need to hire this guy now. Like, <laughs> my, they know what I'm capable of. Uh, and it's not to say that I don't need to do that, but at this point in my career wrestling, it's not something that I am that interested to do as many indies as before. It just doesn't float my boat anymore. But if there's a company that is looking for talent, uh, I mean, I do production stuff. I can do producing of matches and stuff. I've even done some beyond matches. Drew has had me come in just to produce some matches sometimes. And I didn't even have to wrestle on the show. So that was great. That's what I like. And then, uh, you know, guest coaching. I did that in WWE. That was such a gratifying experience just to see the amount of talent and how receptive they were to learning and watching them get it. If I could do that full time, that's probably where I'd like to go, ultimately. Then I don't have to get beat up all the time. <laughs> so, Preserve the body. So with yeah. that, as Preserve far as WWE and AEW, which any free agent on the indies or any, or done from another company, everyone 
the big thing to say is, oh, they should go to AEW. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. What do you? How do you feel about that? Where just every big talent, no matter who it is, they got assigned with AEW because they were misused in this company, so they're going to be better in AEW. Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee that they're going to be better in any other company. I mean, a lot of times you you are, you know, if, if the term being misused in WWE. I mean, if you if you're there and you have a job, you're doing something that you love and you're getting paid to do it. So even if they ask you to be a male cheerleader, even if they ask you to be a job guy for five years, you have a job and you're doing something you love and they're going to pay you to tour the entire world for free and they're going to pay you to do it. So being missed, it's, at the end of the day, it's not real. No one's really the champ. You know what I'm saying? Somebody <laughs> have to lay there for three seconds and let you pin them. So yeah. like saying you should sign with one or the other, you've been misused. Okay, maybe some feel that way, but whatever. I mean, AEW, I hope that it stays in business for as long as it projects to. Not saying it won't stay in business, but it's just, you know, I think everybody wants them to do well because when there's competition in the industry, it's good. But I think the thing that they're lacking is also an education in the sense where, you know, if I go to work for Walmart, if I go to work for WWE, or if I go to work for ESPN, or even you guys, you're going to put me through some form of training before I go out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Something has to take place. There, it's just they bring these people in and they push them out and say, okay, go. Okay, but if they don't know how to work, working live television is working is different from working an independent show. That's what I'll say. And sometimes what we do on an independent show does not translate well on television. It just doesn't. It's just the way it is. So being taught that, how to do that, will keep you on television. It will keep viewers going up. It will keep attendance going up when they can understand and follow what's happening. Sometimes that's lost in AEW. Sometimes that's lost in all organizations. But sometimes it's there more than others. So, I mean, if I went there, I would want to be there more on a production side of producing the matches and helping the talent. Because I see their talent, and they have so much talent. But it's like... It's almost like they have receivers playing running backs and quarterbacks playing linemen, and it's like you got people that are just, I don't understand. There's a lot of talent there, but I think watching their matches, it's tough. It's tough for the common fan to say, well, why did he do that? That didn't make sense. You know what I mean? And once the fan does that, they change the channel. And we don't want them to change the channel. Yeah, it's it can only be a, a niche market for so long until it it fails. Like you can only have, you can only like, it's a business. They want it to go up. And if it stays the same for too long, there's going to be a lot of problems. Exactly. And then I look at it from like a master's NBA point of view. And I think, well, whoever's investing in this, Tony Khan or his dad or someone who's investing in it, you know, if they loved wrestling this much, they would have invested in it a long time ago. Don't you think they would have done this a while ago. So it, maybe it's something that he has an interest in. I have an interest in, you know, other things, but I'm not going to invest so much money into it and saying, oh, well, they have billions of dollars. Well, yes, but in order to get billions of dollars, you have to know where losing money happens. So if they keep losing money at this, it's only a matter of time before they say, okay, it's not working. Sorry. You know what I mean? Like, we're not going to keep going forward with this passion project that's costing us so much damn money. We don't want that to happen. You want viewers to come in, and you want people to keep buying tickets. But if they can't tell the stories on television the way that people are expecting it, then or the way that it's sold, 
you know, because our, as a fan, you watch wrestling, and the only thing that you can relate that to is another wrestling company or UFC or something real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when those things don't happen, you know, if I punch a guy in the face five times and then he takes off running and drop kicks me, well, wait. In UFC, he punched him three times and the guy didn't get up running. In WWE, he punched him three times and the guy fell down. Like, what's going on over here that's made, or the dives, or like so much stuff that there's no selling in between, or even the burying of the ref. You know, it's like, you're an Eagles fan, right? Yes. Okay, so if they're playing in the Super Bowl and the Patriots guy pulls him down by the face mask and the ref doesn't throw a flag, who are you going to get mad at? Oh, there's going to be a death threat to that referee. (laughs) Yeah, to the referee, right? Not to the Patriots guy, but now. Let me ask you this. It depends on who the Patriots turns, guy is, though. <laughs> There's one. Now, if the referee turns his back and the Patriots guy pulls him down by the face mask and the ref turns around and the Patriots guy puts his hands up, like, I don't know. You're not going to be mad at the ref now. You're going to be mad at the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. very true. I'm going to be mad all around. I'm, I'm, I'm an Eagles fan, so <laughs> I'm going to be mad at everyone. But I'm going to be mad at everyone. I'll be mad at them, too. <laughs> You're going to be throwing snowballs at Santa again. Here we go. In our defense, that was a, that was a drunk fan. We know this because we're intelligent sports fans, so he deserved what he got. Well, either way, when the wrestling is missing that aspect, the fans are saying, well, why didn't the ref throw the flag? And the ref, the match keeps going, the fans are, they're going to, new viewers are not going to be into that niche, and they're not going to care who's out there. They're just going to go, eh, it's hard for me to follow. It's like a Netflix show that I watch, and I get two seats, two episodes in I can't watch it anymore because they did something fake and ah, they just blew it <laughs> alright well here's a here's my question then if and I'm not saying it's going to happen but if AEW were to fold how big of a hit does the sport of wrestling take from that it all takes a big hit because then the indies will start booking the AEW TV stars and then those who are getting a little momentum and a little bit of work on the indies and are getting better They'll lose a lot of their spots, and the money will go to those ones. And uh, it'll just be bad in general because we don't want that to happen. You know what I mean? As an industry, we want them to succeed. We want them to compete, so that way it's like there's more places for guys to work. Because if AEW grows, then guess what? People might be more in tune when an ROH guy jumps there and go, "Well, what's ROH now? ROH can grow a little bit." Well, what's you know what I'm saying? One feeds the other, but yes. one. It's not doing it right. And one's spinning the opposite direction. It's just it's throwing fans out of the picture. And also what that does is if they do fold, then, you know, what's to say? that That's just a proven business model out there that didn't work. So what's to get more investors along the way who are going to reference that and say, well, it didn't work then, so what's going to make it work now? Not, yeah. only the, not only that, but the morale for the fan base as a whole would just be at an all-time low. I think the morale for that niche fan base would be low because they would realize, oh, this isn't as popular or as cool as we thought it once was. And it's not that it isn't cool or popular. It's cool what they do. I've worked the Young Bucks a few times in Australia, and we had great matches. I didn't put one on YouTube, I think, that we worked. I don't think it's public. I think I sent it to Mondo. But, uh, <laughs> and work, we had to work their style, but we worked their style, and it made sense. We, we slowed them down at certain points, and we highlighted the things they do. I'll send it over to you. It was, a, it was a decent match. We worked them like three or four times over there. And they let us call the match, and they just said, okay, whatever you guys want to do, that's what we'll do. And we said, okay, well, we have an idea of what you do, so let's put it in the right spot and just get this place roaring. And that's all we did, because we got our heat, and 
It was so simple. And they even said in the back, man, that was so easy. Like, I could do that every night. I said, yeah, you don't have to do all the crazy stuff. Let's just put it in the right spots, and it'll be easy. It'll be safe. Hmm. Yeah, can't, that actually sounds like it'd be an amazing match because they are so clearly baby faces and going up against you guys that that would be so so fun to watch now uh, it was a cool match it was fun they're easy to work with now wrestling today now do you feel like there's i I think i know your answer on this but i'm gonna ask it anyway there's less of a psychology and more of just going for the big pop going for the the holy shit quote-unquote moment yeah yeah there really is even if like when I watch the indie shows, I'm going, okay, they're working for the reaction on the move as opposed to the reaction on the finish. You know, nobody, nobody wants to pop halfway through the movie and be like, whoa, that was a, such a cool fighting scene. Okay, let's watch the next 30 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you want to leave the movie with that. Oh, yes, that was a great finish, either really high or really mad at the heels. Yeah. Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And not only that, you know what, I mean, and not to kind of gang up on AEW, but it seems that if if you're watching NXT and if you watch like a TakeOver, they, they do those false finishes almost a little too much, but you're building and you're building and you're building for that final one, two, three, and it's that huge pop that you get and the exhale of the result that you don't see a lot of in AEW. No, because they're they're doing more false finishes than they need to, and they feel in watching their matches, they feel that if we do enough moves and we both crash and burn at one point, then maybe the crowd will chant that this is wrestling or this is awesome or we love something, and they're doing it for the reaction. When in reality, you're building for the finish, you're building for that finish. And if they do too many, you can hear the crowd once it happens too many because the crowd goes uh, on the kick out, and it's like no other false finish after that's going to get that reaction, and you can even pinpointing though that was where they had it the highest you should have took it home and the reason they don't take it home and finish the match there is because it's not what they called in the back where there's been times where if I know I'm losing once we get them I'm going to tell the ref count to three we got them if they don't know that we have another minute planned the crowd doesn't know that so if we take them home now they're going to be super happy if we keep going an extra minute they might not be where we have them now and a lot of that seems that, to it seems to be lost sometimes, and, and it's not just AEW because, I mean, even the the juggernaut that is WWE, although it's not as prevalent, but it still happens. Oh yeah, it all happens. It happens everywhere, and it's just a learning thing. And it's it's guys forgetting that the fans don't know what you're gonna do. So if you stay down for three, they don't know that they're gonna react. But if you kick out and keep doing more, they might eh, you might lose them. They might have dropped off. You don't get that same pop, that same reaction. Yeah, us fans don't have an attention span that you guys need. The problem with a lot of it too is wrestlers are outthinking the fans. And when you outthink the fans, like I've had, I've seen shows where the finish was a knee to the face. Okay, but you did three other knees in the match. Why did that one finish him later in the match? Didn't make any sense. Now the fans, they're not buying the finish because they saw you do the knee three other times in the match, and their response was, well, it was a different knee. It was a this type of knee. Okay, but to a fan, a knee is a knee is a knee. They don't know a Japanese knee from a foreign knee from an English. Like, they don't know. It's a knee to the face. They're a fan. They don't think of it on the higher level that some of the wrestlers are thinking. They're thinking way beyond the fan's mindset, and they got to pull themselves back. Yeah, so now we, we touched on it 
twice already now, so we want to dive into out of wrestling and into the gridiron. The gridiron, and and mostly people know that you are a Patriots fan, and we are a Philadelphia wrestling podcast. So yes, we are Eagles fans and all Philly sports. So um, I don't like that laugh. <laughs> the the one thing we want to talk we want to talk to you about is yeah, we'll talk about the Patriots and how they lost this past week and dropping to the third seed. Uh, what was your feeling on that? Is just being the sports fan that you are, do you think that they kind of just let it go? It's a work. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like part of the team thought, like, uh, man, we're going to be off this week. Like, this is cool. Like, we just got to get through today. And I think a lot of them probably already thought that. But, man, it was a bummer to see them lose. Uh, but it's always a bummer when they lose. I hate watching them lose. Even though they don't lose that often, when they do, I'm like, come on. I guess we're like the Golden State Warriors of yeah. football. Like I just expect them to win. So when they don't, I, something's going wrong here. But people overreact so crazy. It's like Brady throws one bad throw, and it's like, oh, he's done. He's over. It's time to retire. Like They've been saying that six years ago. Noodle arm's got to retire. That's it. Noodle arm. That's it. <laughs> he's even a better runner. 1,000-yard rusher, you know. <laughs> so and I'm glad you said that because the biggest debate in in sports when the, when it's talking about Tom Brady is has he started his decline is is it is it on its way and he's on his way down has he started his decline uh, physically yes mentally I think he sees the game completely different from everybody and I think I think sometimes he's probably out thinking his own offensive players like. You know, he might see what's going to happen way before some of these other guys do. So that's going to be pretty intimidating. But physically, I don't think he has the – I think he has next year. If next year isn't his last year, then it's definitely the year after that. But I think the clock is coming. But mentally, he reminds me of, like, when Peyton was with Denver. Like, Peyton could outthink the defense and put things in the right position. He may not have been the best physically, but he could outthink his way through a game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he was a 100-yard average a game, but – they still made it. Yeah, he would throw up a lot of ducks. That just goes – that's the testament to honing your craft and perfecting it to a T. And it goes for everything. We can even tie this back to wrestling if we if we absolutely wanted to. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the way that – I think Tom Brady's kind of put, put it to bed that he is going to go down as the greatest of all time after he retires, unfortunately for us. Yeah. But, yeah, man, he's uh, he's impressive. He's definitely impressive in what he does. It's just different. It's unique to see because it's like one of those guys that obviously didn't come out the gate as a top draft pick. So to me, that's always pretty cool. They had to work for it. Yeah, he was a backup to Drew Bledsoe, <laughs> of all people. Yeah. <laughs> now that kind of, I mean, it, it is. You want to master your craft, and that's kind of what you were preaching this interview for wrestling, being as it. You want to be a coach. You want the best for the industry. I mean, you're not not necessarily you have to do it in the ring, though. You can do it from the sidelines, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I, I still have some wrestlers that will send me clips and some of their matches, and I'll, I'll give them feedback, and I'll even give them time cues on the tape. Like, at this time, this is what happened, and then this is why the crowd died. Or this is what you did that made that lost some of the belief. You know, and it could just be the simplest thing, but I know in my mind, based on what I've been taught throughout my years, that that's what they're looking for up there, you know. Working side-by-side with Triple H and Sean and Vince McMahon week after week, 
you get that that mindset. You know, you you see it how they're starting to see it and what they're looking for out of you. So when you get that every week, like, oh, you backed up two steps right there. Why'd you back up two steps? Now you also like, oh my goodness, I guess I did back up two steps. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking like, in the match on live TV raw, like, don't back up in two steps. Like, then I'm talking myself out there on TV. So learning that and being able to teach them at this age, I think that's great because once they get there, they'll have so much more of an advantage and they'll they'll last longer. You know, the worst thing to see is guys who come in and you know they get a big social media push, I guess, because of a move they do, but then six months to a year later, they're, they're gone. They're not in the business anymore because they're hurt. They injured themselves or just something, you know? And then that's just horrible because it's like they had talent. They could have done something well in this industry. They could have helped it. But something, something went wrong along the way, I guess. There's just too many bad wrestling schools out there. That's the problem. Well, I think we are going to wrap it up right there. We want to thank you so much for taking the time and talking with us. And um, we appreciate every minute of it. And uh, we hope to um, be seeing you soon and wherever you may end up. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Uh, you all be good. Have a, have a safe holiday season. Happy New Year. To you as well there, Ken. Take care. And that was our interview with Kenny. Or Ken Doan, or however, however you know him. You know him Ken exactly. Or Ken, I think both will suffice. Yes. Now that we know that it wasn't his idea for the name, yeah. we'll just call him Ken. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the wealth of knowledge. Yeah, when you think of wrestler gimmick male cheerleader, you don't necessarily tie that in with a wealth of knowledge about not only the in ring stuff, but the whole business aspect of it as it's. As well? Yeah. So, I mean, going into this interview, I was intimidated. I didn't know what we were in for. I know his character. Yeah. I know who he plays on the TV. <laughs> Thought this was going to be a lot more intimidating. It wasn't that intimidating. It was actually once we got into it, it was great. Yes. Not only that, being able to um, jab back and forth about football and about our football teams. You know what? Those fucking Patriots... <laughs> Can't we won though? We won. I can't have all. That's true. I can't have all we, the. I can and I will, but for the sake of argument, I don't right now. Yes, they might Mainly have more rings. We suck right now. They do have more rings, but we got that one that counted. That's true. Yeah. So, but uh, it was a great interview. Um, like we said, I, I did not expect uh, all the knowledge that he that he had about the business. And you could hear. I didn't expect him to say he started when he was 13 and wrestled in the WWE at 16. I didn't even think that was legal. Yeah, that it's incredible. You don't hear that a lot, no, ever. Or, I mean, you might, but we don't. No, no, not at all. So uh, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Ken Doan. Um, we Happy certainly New Year, did. motherfuckers. And yeah, we hope uh, you have a good New Year as well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It was kind of like Damien Sandow. <laughs> kind of. I'll, I'll give you that one. Happy New Year, everybody, and we hope uh, to be talking to you soon and have a safe and uh, healthy one. <laughs>